You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Welcome, everybody. My name is Matt Nixon. I'm your host today for A Step Further. This is our weekly podcast where we take the content of what we talked about in our service on Sunday at Kingsway, and we just apply it deeper and further into your life. So yesterday, we started a new series looking at God, and the whole goal of the series, we're going to study God. We're going to look then at how Jesus reveals something about God from the thing we studied to us, and then what that means for us. And we're going to follow all that up with a series on the Holy Spirit. And what does the Bible tell us on the Holy Spirit? And um, as we looked Sunday, we looked at this idea of God being a consuming fire. And I got to tell you, that is a terrifying thing. And I feel anxious teaching it because, number one, I don't know if I did a good enough job of revealing and showing who God is and who God's revealed us to be. I also uh, feel anxious because if I didn't bring home the point on Jesus strong enough, then you might have walked away scared of God instead of connecting with God. And that's not a win. That's not a goal. Uh, and so what I want to do today is try to dig into a passage to really help us understand this a little bit further. So if anything that I'm saying doesn't make sense to you um, or doesn't connect with you, I want to encourage you real quick to go online. You can go to kingswaychurch.org. You can go to our, our sermons area, our media page, and you can find the message and listen to it. You'd also go to your podcast, wherever you use podcasts on your phone and tablets and computers, and uh, listen to it there. It's also on YouTube. Just search Kingsway Christian Church. There are a few other Kingsway churches out there. Uh, we're the best one because we're the one in Avon, Indiana. Woot, woot. Just kidding. So, uh, moving on now. God is a consuming fire. That is a biblical principle. We see it over and over and over again. In fact, even in the Old Testament, we see that uh, stories where this is portrayed for us. We see Elijah on a mountain challenging the the, the false um, gods of uh, the nations who've infiltrated Israel, and the prophets of those gods come toe-to-toe with Elijah on the mountain, and and they build up these altars, and uh, the, the challenge is Elijah says to them, hey, why don't you call down fire from heaven? You go ahead and uh, see what your gods can do, and all day long they cry out, and they're literally cutting their flesh, and they're doing all these things, and nothing happens. Their, their sacrifice is still laying on the altar. Then Elijah builds his altar, and he puts a, a moat all the way around the altar and fills it up with water, and the moat is filled with water, and the sacrifice is saturated, and fire shoots down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And this was God's way of showing off his power and his might, that he alone is God. Uh, We see in other places, Isaiah tells us that God is a consuming fire and he burns with jealousy. Uh, We see this even in the Old Testament sacrificial system and the way they burned up the animals. And uh, even in the uh, story of the Egyptians and the Israelites being led out of there, uh, when they were to take the sacrificial lamb and put the blood over the doorpost, anything they didn't eat, they were to burn up and consume with fire. And so there are all these pictures and point us to this idea of God being a consuming fire. And uh, that could be extremely terrifying for us. When we think about God being so big, so powerful, so mighty, so all-encompassing, so overwhelming, or the phrase I even used yesterday, overpowering, it can literally shake us and rock us to our core. And honestly, just being honest for a minute, I I think that's a good thing. I, I don't want to worship a God that I can understand and fully grasp and hold within my own hand. I want to worship a God who holds me in his hand. And even though his ways are unsearchable and sometimes confusing to me, 
I trust him because he is powerful and mighty and wise and merciful and loving. But it's those last couple words that bring it home for me. If God is only big and God is only terrifying, but he's not also merciful and loving, then I have a hard time understanding him. The reason that Jesus incarnated, that's the word that we use to to describe that God became one of us. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. He incarnated with us. The reason that Jesus did that is to take the bigness, the, the terrifyingness, the overpowering and whelmingness of God and bring it down to earth, down to my level, not down to something I could manage, not down to something that I could uh, control, down to something that I could see and behold, something that I could grasp onto. And when Jesus came and lived among us in this way, and now the, the apostles talked about it, I mean, they ate with him, they drank with him, they slept near him, they, um, they literally did everything they did together. I'm assuming Jesus got sick like we get sick and gets viruses like we got viruses and we even know that he was uncomfortable at times, having no place to lay his head, and maybe uh, didn't have enough food and had to call it forth from miraculous places. And he experienced many of the things we experienced, but it was always in veiled power. He was still power veiled in flesh. Uh, we even sing about that in some of our Christmas songs, Hail the Incarnate Deity. And um, this is powerful stuff for us because Jesus brings home this idea of this powerful God who loves us. Now, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he told the disciples, listen, it is better for you if I leave because when I leave, I'll send one after me who is good for you, better for you. And uh, we're going to dig into this more as we get into the Holy Spirit series, but the way these three things connect is powerful. And the disciples were confused. You'll find this in John chapter 14 through 16. The disciples were confused. What could be better for us than having you with us? I mean, again, God was so big and so terrifying and so overwhelming, but you're here. You're right here with us. We could see and taste and hold and touch and hear and listen to. What would be better than that? And the answer is what would be better for you is me in you, even more than me with you. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit became our guarantee that on the last day, when we stand before our eternal judge, God the Father, actually Jesus will be our judge, but when we stand before him and he is assessing our life and he's evaluating what we did with him and with what he gave to us, when that day comes, the Holy Spirit is in us as a guarantee that we will stand before him in the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, washed clean, purified, made right, made whole. There's confidence confidence in that. Now, that is all. Everything I've said is set up to this text that I want to read you today and then just do one little quick teaching on it. First John chapter 4 verse 13 says this. This is how we know that we live in him in he and us. He has given us his spirit. So again, John is trying to give confidence to his disciples, to the people that he's teaching and say, "Look, we have confidence that God is in us. How do we know? Because we have his spirit." Verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So this is John, the apostle, and the disciple talking about the other apostles. They were set up by Jesus to tell the world. Jesus has come to save the world. Then he goes on, verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. This is powerful because after a message like Sunday, you may feel anxious. You may feel um, even scared or terrified of God. Maybe there's some undealt with, unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life. 
And if you think God is only a consuming fire, you may be tempted to run away from him. But that's not the whole story. If we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in you and you live in God. And verse 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. In other words, as dear children of God, that's one of John's favorite phrases for you and for me, as dear children of God, we don't rely on his power and his terrifying, consuming fireness in our daily lives. No, we rely on his love, his ever-present love in our lives, who, yes, at times, like any good father, disciplines us. And yes, like any good father, also provides for us and cares for us and nurtures us and helps us and strengthens us, even gives us wisdom and doesn't find fault for how we got into the problem that we're in. He is a good, good father, and Jesus brings that home for us. But let's keep going. The rest of verse 16 says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. The goal of what John is trying to get to is he understands when we're talking about a very, very, very powerful and complex God, we are still also talking about us and it can be confusing at times and it's easy when you hear god is a consuming fire which is true it's no less true it can feel to us like therefore i can't go there because i am not worthy and john is saying you are worthy but you're not worthy off your efforts you're worthy off the name of jesus the blood of jesus the life the death the burial the resurrection of jesus which you believe in and god has now given to you the gift of life in him but don't miss this Verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So this is one of my favorite passages. I mention it all the time. I love a lot of John stuff. I quote him a lot, but this one I bring up a ton because I'm wrestling with this. We are told to fear God as the beginning of wisdom. He truly is as powerful and as consuming as I described for you Sunday, but he also is love. We don't relate with him because he's terrifying. That's good for us because he means he's for us and he's capable and able to handle anything. We relate with him because he's love and we see it in the life of Jesus. Listen, if you're still afraid of God, even after learning about the fact that he's a consuming fire and earthquake and fire and lightning and thunder and all those things we read about Sunday, it's because you haven't come to a full experience of his love. You're still afraid of punishment. So then how do we deal with the punishment? How do we deal with that? We bring it to Jesus and we let him be our savior. He died to save the world. He died to save you past, present, and future sins that you have or might yet commit. So today, if there's anything that's still afraid of God, put it to death. And come to Jesus, your Savior, and say, I need to understand you as my Savior. I need to understand you as my Lord. Help me to experience the love that casts out fear so that you can sit in your father's lap like every good dad does and just have him wrap those big old dad arms around you and say, you are my child, my dearly loved child, whom I love. And the last thing I'll read, 1 John four nineteen: We love because he first loved us. Remember that today. Whatever God is saying to you and doing, and you remember that today. Go with God, and we'll see you next time.